0: At the White House, Washington, the President of the United States talks with confidence about Allied intentions and hopes. The Russian army will continue its stern offensives on Germany's eastern front. The Allied armies in Africa and Italy will bring relentless pressure on Germany from the south. And now the encirclement will be complete as great American and British forces attack from other points of the compass. The United Nations had no intention to enslave the German people. We wish them to have a normal chance to develop, to develop in peace as useful and respectable members of the European family. But we most certainly emphasize that word respectable, for we intend to rid them once and for all of Nazism and Prussian militarism and the fantastic and disastrous notion that they constitute the master race. The doctrine that the strong shall dominate the weak is the doctrine of our enemies, and we reject it. God bless us all. God keep us strong in the faith that we fight for a better day for humankind here
1: and everywhere.
2: David Penn here. Welcome back to the Professor Penn podcast. Start out with some good vibes. The good vibe of President Franklin Roosevelt opposing Darwinism and the domination of the weak by the strong, and his invocation of God and the request uh, for God to strengthen the American people, followed up by good vibes, Rastamon vibrations. and. I see the connection between Roosevelt and Bob Marley, and I hope you do too. And the great thing about this podcast is we get to work together to figure out how we're going to confront this evil, which is descending upon our lives, upon our families, upon the world. How can we do this without going to the dark side of the force, so to speak? and we in the last podcast discovered together Gandhi's philosophy of truth and nonviolence and i'm going to say that nonviolence doesn't mean no physical violence it means that within our hearts we stay focused on all of the good that we can do together as members of a community the american community the more perfect union so we have a an ambitious uh, project today that we're going to work through today I'm I'm going to try to share uh, with you how I see the the darkening and the coarsening of our country and our political life since the assassination of John Kennedy I think it's really important for us to look at that and understand that but first a little news is I'm uh, doing this podcast uh, President Biden is in the Ukraine uh, I know this podcast is gonna air Later, and um, we'll see how that all turns out. But there he is in the Ukraine, in Kiev with Zelensky, reaffirming American support and Western support and encouraging Western support for this proxy war, which is really not a proxy war. Why do we know that? Because he's in Kiev, which means the U.S. military guaranteed his passage into the country, into the capital, and is providing for his security while he's there. So we know the US military has assets that can protect a president in a war zone. And that would be a lot of assets. Further we know, because it's been announced, that the United States informed Russia of the intention to have Biden visit Kiev. Apparently they're still doing business. They can talk to each other. Why don't they sit down and talk about peace? They'll talk about a trip. How about sit down and solve the problem? President Biden, could you please talk with President, since you can send him a message that says, I'm coming to the country, please don't kill me, or possibly, alternatively, it's a setup. We'll see when it's all over. But they're in communication, why can't they talk about a peace? And that's because the United States, you and me, we the people, through our elected representatives, We've gone all in on this project in the Ukraine. We're defending our currency with the power of the military. And there's no back down here. And what President Biden is saying and what the uh, world is hearing him say is that this is about the security of the whole world, that this war in the Ukraine is emblematic of all the security threats that the United States and its empire, its empire, faces today and in the years to come. This is not the spreading of an ideology or the spreading of a lofty set of spiritual goals and ambitions for the people of the world and for the American people. No, 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 as we've been going through. This is the imposition of the democratic liberal order or what we would call the New World Order, upon all the participants of the world, whether they like it or not. Because somehow, between when Roosevelt talked about the self-determination of all peoples as a Democrat-liberal leftist, somehow between that leftism, the leftism of 1944, and the leftism of 2023, Something changed, and we're going to go through that a little bit today. So let's, let's start this off, and let's take a look at this first uh, picture about uh, this beautiful speech, two speeches given by uh, President Kennedy before he was assassinated. It'll give us a little insight into why he might have been killed. Please.
3: And we must face the fact that the United States is neither omnipotent, that we are only six percent of the world's population, and that we cannot impose our will upon the other ninety four percent of mankind, that we cannot right every wrong or reverse each adversity, and that therefore there cannot be an American solution to every world problem
2: Thank you so here we have a um... Continuation of the Atlantic Charter, soaring rhetoric, a young and and uh, charismatic leader, who is reinforcing Roosevelt's Atlantic Charter. Of course, Roosevelt was a Democrat. Kennedy was a Democrat. The post-World War II Democratic liberal order. They're both. Uh, Roosevelt was the father. Kennedy is a child of it. And he's saying quite clearly, the United States cannot solve every problem cannot impose its will on the world. We're only 6% of the population. And those numbers are basically true today. And this is the kind of of, uh, limited foreign policy, a limited ambition, which leads to a healthy country and a healthy populace. This is a well-being kind of a position because I think we all know from our own personal lives, there's only so much we can get done. And we have to be humble in our own uh, 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 self-estimation and humble in our ambition, and that when we lose our humility and we become hyper-ambitious, oftentimes, maybe all the time, we lose our spiritual center and then we lose our well-being. So President Kennedy is laying out a very well-being future for the American people. This is 1961, not that long after World War II. And let's take it a little bit farther and, and listen to one of probably his greatest speech. There is no uh, video on this, so if you're listening, uh, you can just enjoy the uh, fantastic rhetoric that's involved in the secret society, the famous secret society speech. Please continue.
3: The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, To secret oaths and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it.
2: Could you stop it just for and a second, there is- please? I just want to point out something that I said last time, which I'm saying frequently. One of the things we need to do as American people is embrace our traditions. This is a very critical speech. It's a timeless speech. And when I listen to it, I feel as if I am actually listening to JFK give it, because its relevancy is just as important today as it was in the early 1960s. What JFK is saying is he opposes any kind of secrecy or secret societies, which means our security state or secret, esoteric, occult organizations, which may develop and wield tremendous influence, but in an occult and hidden way. What Kennedy is saying is, is we need a completely open and transparent politics, which is the same thing that Gandhi was saying, truth and nonviolence. Please continue.
4: Very grave danger that an
3: announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment.
2: Patriot. That Patriot- I do not act.
3: intend to permit to the extent that it's in my
2: control. Just stop it one second, please. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to stumble over this beautiful speech. But he's warning the American people that crises will be used to justify the progressive curtailment of our freedoms. And the sine qua non, the highest expression of that was the Patriot Act, which was passed in our Congress in the early part of the 2000s, right after 9-11, which allowed for the kind of secrecy and secret-keeping and surveillance which Kennedy was railing against in this speech. So it took about mm, 42 years, from when Kennedy put down this marker to when it was completely overthrown. Please continue.
3: And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly-knit highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned. No rumor is printed. No secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger.
5: This version tracks the limousine and maintains President Kennedy and Governor Connolly
2: at center frame. This version is only in slow motion. You know, I'm playing the uh, assassination, the the Zapruder film of the assassination of Kennedy a second time because it's such a critical linchpin in the psychology of all the people that are alive in the world today and that are alive here in the United States. Uh, We were actually manipulated heavily and as we talked about previously, there was a Warren Commission that came right after this assassination and proved that it was a lone gunman and that there was a you know single bullet that zipped around uh, the car was they called it the magic bullet. We were so uh, and I was a you know I was part of it. We were so interested in believing that we could trust our government that we just believed a complete lie when the evidence is right before our eyes. In other words, we didn't believe our own eyes. This is the power of the secret societies because the secret societies, these people are highly trained. These people are like the priests or the dark priests of our government or of the world. They know how our brains work. They know how our hearts work. And rather than seek to bring about greater well-being and greater peace and prosperity amongst the people, They actually exploit our humanity and use it against us. And this president stood up in front of the world and attacked the secret societies. He attacked them. He said that they were antithetical to American values, that any value or benefit that they generate for our society are outweighed by the price that is paid. This was such a radical vision. It is a Gandhi-esque kind of vision about truth and nonviolence, and for whatever reason, and I'm not going to sit here and litigate this assassination, from a poetic perspective, from the perspective of the poet, he stood up against the machine, and he was cut down by the machine, poetically, whatever the facts of the case are, which of course we can't determine, because most of the relevant documents, the government documents, even though they were to be released, are still not released or whatever was released was so heavily redacted as to be not valuable. So here we are in 2023. This assassination was in 1963. So we're 60 years after this assassination and still we can't get to the bottom. We only have the contours. So important was this event in American history. But but John Kennedy came from a very gifted and important American uh, hierarchy, the Kennedys. And there was four brothers. The first brother, who was really going to be the president, the father, uh, Joe Kennedy, was a long-range thinker and a very wealthy man. And he had a a plan to have his first son uh, become president. And that son died in World War II, very heroically, in in a in a very intense uh, military mission. So then the mantle fell upon John Kennedy, who was also severely injured in World War II. These were heroes. I mean, they put it on the line in the war. They weren't sitting at home. They weren't on college deferments. They actually were in the war. So they had a lot of credibility in that post-World War II democratic liberal order because they were players. And so John stepped up to the plate, became the president, A lot of circumstances around that, too, relative to elections, something we can talk about in the future. But he was a president, and he was a martyred president. He had a younger brother, Bobby Kennedy. Bobby was uh, RFK. He was a complicated individual, and people didn't like him, particularly LBJ didn't like him. And the mob didn't like him. He was a mob buster. But he had some of the most soaring rhetoric, some of the most inspiring, divinely infused ideas that come right out of that Atlantic Charter, that come right out of that Roosevelt Democrat Party. These are the kind of words that inspire a people, that bring a people to a higher level of organization, a focus on spiritual rather than material, aspirational goals that involve peace and tranquility and brotherhood amongst men, striving for that more perfect union, that more perfect community. So let's listen to a little bit of Bobby's uh, soaring rhetoric.
6: Whenever any American's life is taken unnecessarily, whether it is done in the name of the law or in defiance of the law, whenever we do this, then the whole nation is degraded. And yet it goes on and on and on in this country of ours. Too often we excuse those who are willing to build their own lives the shattered dreams of other human beings. Some accuse others of rioting and inciting riots have by their own conduct invited them. This is the violence of institutions, indifference, inaction, and decay. This is the violence that afflicts the poor, that poisons relations between men because their skin has different colors. This is the slow destruction of a child by hunger and schools without books. This is the breaking of a man's spirit by denying him the chance to stand as a father and as a man amongst other men. We learn at the last to look at our brothers as aliens. For when you teach a man to hate and to fear his brother, when you teach that he is a lesser man because of his color, then you also learn to confront others, not as fellow citizens, but as enemies. To be met not with cooperation, but with conquest. To be subjugated and to be mastered. We learn to share only a common fear, only a common impulse. To meet disagreement with force. But this much is clear. Violence breeds violence. Repression breeds retaliation. And only a cleansing of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. We must admit the vanity of our false distinctions and learn to find our own advancement in search for the advancement
2: of all. Thank you. You know, I'm I'm teared up because I realize, watching this that this decay has been weaponized. This decay was organic decay uh, at the time that Robert Kennedy spoke these words. But the secret societies have learned how to weaponize this decay and exacerbate the, the divisions that hold us down and keep us apart and prevent us from forming that more perfect union. And RFK was assassinated. Uh, these are soaring words that come from the heart. Let's forget about all the criticisms of RFK for a minute. And there are many. They're legendary. And let's forget about all the criticisms of JFK, because there are many and they are legendary. Let's forget about all the criticisms of Gandhi, for there are many and they are legendary. And let's look at the poetry that their best self interjected into our political lives, into our social lives, into our world community, and realize that their voices were stilled, all three of them, by assassin's billets. I didn't talk about Gandhi's assassination, but he was stilled. JFK was cut down right before our eyes. And RFK also. Could you please play this RFK assassination piece?
7: A reporter for the Mutual Broadcasting System, Andy West, was in the hallway, the kitchen hallway, in the Ambassador Hotel last night when Senator Kennedy was shot. He is perhaps the man who was closest to the senator when the shots were fired. Let's go back now to that hour last night. First... Senator Kennedy in victory, and then the voice of reporter West as our cameras show the panic that gripped the scene. So I,
6: so I thank I thank all of you who made this possible this evening, all of the effort that you made and all of the people whose names I haven't mentioned, but who made all, did all of the work at the precinct level, who got out the vote, who did all of the effort, um, brought forth all of the efforts that's required. I was a campaign manager eight years ago. I know what a difference that kind of an effort and that kind of commitment makes. So I thank all of you, those of you are here. Mayor, Mayor Yorty has just sent me a message that we've been here too long already. So uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago and let's win there. Thank you.
2: He was obviously beloved from this scene, if you're just listening in. This is right after he won the California primary, and he had a tremendous following of adoring fans. He was highly charismatic, and he was the leader. He had picked up the Kennedy mantle, and he was carrying it forward. And he was cut down brutally right after this victory, as we're about to hear. It's gonna start soon. You're gonna hear the pops of the gunfire. There it is.
8: Here's Get the
2: them. panic of the crowd when it sweeps over them. The picture of Bobby Kennedy, Kennedy the famous picture where he's lying, bleeding out. Horrifying. And this was for all of us to see. All of us to the see. Manager, and shot in the head. This was about the it killing changed. Kennedy and killing all of our hopes and dreams at the same time.
9: Get it, get it get the gun, gun raper okay now hold on to the guy get hold the on gun. to him
2: hold on to him ladies and gentlemen hold him hold him we don't want another oswald Can stop it please hold him Rafer. that's enough of this we don't want another oswald what they're saying is let's not let the killer be killed let's try to get some evidence from the person who pulled the trigger And, of course, we've never really heard anything from Sirhan Sirhan that's moved the needle. We really don't know where he came from. He's not in the... The cause of this is, again, the lone gunman. Poetically, it was heartbreaking for everyone that lived in the world, everyone that lived in this country. And I just want to share an an anecdote, a personal anecdote, which, of course, is not in any way... I'm certainly not trying in any way put myself on this level. Although I am pledging my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor to the maintenance of freedom in this country. So as we build this community and millions of people become part of the free people of America, we'll see where we go with this. Because when you put yourself out and you try to lead and you try to be honest about it, oh, do you find haters? And this is a new experience for me. Kennedy mentioned the precinct strategy. Well, the Republican Party's never practiced that. And I've been trying to uh, refresh, uh, not in terms of Republicanism, but in terms of personal involvement, be you Democrat or Republican, please get involved in the political process. Please, the human will, the the American citizen, we are the bastion, we are the border, we are the limit on the ambition and the ambitious. Plans of our leaders that really bear no connection to what I want for my children or for my own life. They're off on a trip that has nothing to do with the people that live in the precincts and the neighborhoods. So when the people in the precincts and the neighborhoods get involved and be political, then we have governance coming back into we the people. And I've been pursuing that, I've been promoting that. And boy, did they take me out. They took me out in such a comprehensive, calculated, and secret way. So, okay, you you shot your best shot. We got plenty of time to name names. Today I'm just going on record as saying I'm not stupid. I was here to serve, and I was called ambitious. Not because I'm ambitious, but because no one spoke to me. If they had spoke to me, they would know I'm working tirelessly for human freedom, human dignity, and human well-being. And if anybody wants to get on the other side of well-being, please proceed. I'll meet you anywhere, at any time, in any place to speak with you. And my vision of politics is we have a community of people that listen to each other, that discourse with each other. But there are people in the parties that do not want the American people involved in this process. They want us to stay home, playing with our phones, watching football, spending money on trivial pursuits so that they can get away with murder. And how do we know it's murder? Because the life expectancy of the American people is on the decline. The leader's only job is to provide for, promote, promote, not provide, excuse me, promote our general welfare. So if our life expectancy is on the decline, when we have health care for all, and universal vaccinations, and doctors everywhere with well-being checks, and a huge medical infrastructure that takes about 20% of the gross domestic product in the outcome, Of all that investment, some $4 trillion a year is people are dying quicker. I think we need to look into it. And there are people in the parties on both sides that do not want the American people to identify the contradictions in our politics and resolve them and proceed truthfully and nonviolently into a pro human future. No, what they want is a secret society with backstabbing. And manipulation and lies, so that they continue, they can continue. You know, I'm trying to speak very carefully, but I stumble over things that are so emotionally upsetting to me. I have to learn, and thank you for letting me practice with you. I have to learn to keep my cool when I'm mad as hell. That people would backstab when they can come and talk, when they would assume instead of learning, when they could cooperate and instead choose suppression. And as Bobby Kennedy said so beautifully, repression leads to retaliation, and violence breeds violence. And these people do not understand this. Therefore, we the American people need to rise up, get involved in our political process, Learn the beautiful art of politics, which is intended to generate human well being. Why else would anybody do it? And I know why you're not doing it because the people that are controlling it make it very unpleasant. Who wants to spend their life energy on the unpleasant? But if you join with us and you come into the process and we establish new cultural rules and new normative behavior about honesty, about integrity, about mutual beneficial support of one another in pursuit of a more perfect union, these people, they're gonna get irrelevant very quickly and we will have a better future for ourselves and for our children. Now, we're talking about how hope died. How we sit at home playing with our phones when we're on the verge of nuclear war. We're hopeless. Let us rekindle our hope by understanding that this was done to us by evil men and women, evil people, and that we, the American people, are generally good and generally hopeful and generally spiritual. And let us reclaim that so that we can go forward and not allow these Darwinists to continue to dominate our lives and to take everything away from us, which they surely intend to do. And how do I know it? It's called inflation. Could we just play some of this soaring rhetoric from Martin Luther King, which is every bit the equal of the Kennedy brothers?
9: I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. Behold these truths to be self evident that all men are created each I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be, be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My poor little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places
2: Thank you. So what is the common theme from Roosevelt to Kennedy John, to Kennedy Bobby, and to Martin Luther King? was a soaring rhetoric of spiritual inspiration for the American people, In asking us to, to, to reach down inside and reach a higher level of organization to form that more perfect union. And all of these men were referencing God or a creator. In this case, with MLK, he's referencing the Constitution directly. We hold these truths to be self evident. Our founding documents about human equality, human rights, basic human rights, justice for all. He's asking us to find that impulse as if we were there ourselves in 1776 and be inspired by our founding fathers and implement that vision throughout our society. Well, he's not done. We have another great speech. I just want to, just for a a brief minute, do this mountaintop speech because it's so brave and inspiring.
9: Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory
2: of the coming of the Lord. Wow. I'm buzzing all over. First thing I recognize is he's This speech, for my entire lifetime, we were misled to believe, misled to believe that Martin Luther King was speaking to the black community. He was speaking to the American community. Everyone can listen to that speech and be in that room and hear it as if they were there and it doesn't matter if you're Asian or white or black or Muslim or Catholic or Jewish or what agnostic. It doesn't matter. It's for all of us. And his imagery was overtly religious. Going to the mountaintop, that's what Moses did when Moses brought the law down. He looked over into the promised land. That's what Moses did. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, and neither was MLK, but he feared no man, and he knew longevity had its place. But he was willing to give his life because he had already glimpsed and been part of the eternal, and he said, I have subordinated my life to God's will. And this is what well-being is all about. And why do we know he's well? Because we're still talking about him and we will be talking about him, and this speech will be famous a thousand years from now. This is creativity. This is America. And what happened to him? Please the next bit.
1: Eyewitnesses to the assassination say that Dr. King left his room 306 at the Lorraine Hotel just before dinner to get some air. He walked over to the railing at this spot, and noticing some friends below, he leaned over, and began to speak with them. Police say, 205 feet away, in a window in a flophouse, the assassin waited. He waited, police believe, in a bathroom down the hall from the room he rented but four hours earlier. To get a clear shot of his victim, the assassin apparently had to stand in the bathtub leaning forward to brace his arms on the window ledge to steady his rifle. And this was the view he got. He fired a single shot hitting his target squarely and then he ran. Out of the bathroom and along the decrepit hallway, turning, he raced down the rickety wood stairs and out. One policeman said he simply faded. Ike Pappas, CBS News, Memphis. Just at 8 this morning, Dr. Martin Luther King's body was brought to Lyon State for an hour. Hundreds paid their respects during that brief hour. They were old, they were dressed for work, they were middle aged, with families, young, well dressed curious children, but they were almost all black. For some, the experience was just too much. The plane had come from Atlanta bearing Mrs. King. There were police and National Guardsmen at the airport with rifles and shotguns and riot sticks to hold back the crowd of newsmen and spectators. After some delay, the casket was placed aboard for the last journey home
8: to Atlanta. Uh,
2: the, The spiritual disappointment, the hopelessness that started to descend upon the land as these leaders were cut down, these leaders that were embodying a spiritual message, a spiritual message for our community, a message of faith, a message of hope. A message that was rooted in our Constitution and was rooted in the creator of that natural right that was really enshrined in our constitutional document. I could feel it. It was palpable. It was like a darkness descending upon our country. The light that had opened after World War II, the hopefulness, the prosperity, the belief that you could do anything in America was diminished. Darkness was descending. Fear was descending. People became very self-interested. People became very unwilling to talk to one another. People were afraid. And why shouldn't they be afraid? These great leaders who stood up were killed right before us. They were killed to still their voices. But we all have one voice. We're a chorus. And in stilling the leader They stilled all of us. And look at where we are today. today. I have that trouble speaking when I get mad. I'm so angry that we're on the verge of nuclear war. I'm so angry that we have a $32 trillion debt and getting bigger by the second. I know what these people have in mind. And the point of this podcast and of everything I'm doing politically is to form a community of people that also know what our leaders are doing And while we still have a republic in a democratic process, let us go into this process and into the streets and use the mechanism of our government and remove these people, make them irrelevant and replace them with leaders that are focused on one thing, the well-being of the people. It's not about power. It's not about weapons. It's not about technology per se. It's about well-being. Let us bring that. And that's what each one of these people were talking about. And let's just do the, the worst and the last. The, the, let's listen to Malcolm X and let's see what happened to Malcolm.
1: attitudes that Malcolm X came to Britain two weeks ago on a lecture tour. And among the places he visited was Smithick, a town too often associated with racial hatred in Britain. And while he was abroad, his opponents at home began to plot against him. He flew back to America ten days ago, and only a few hours after his return, his enemies struck the first blow. While Malcolm X and his wife and their four children slept, three petrol bombs were flung into the house. The house was badly damaged. The Malcolm X's escaped. But for Malcolm X, it was a brief reprieve. Last Sunday at 3.21 p.m. New York time, 8.21 in the evening over here, he rose to speak to his followers in Harlem. One minute later, he was shot down by ten bullets. Eighteen minutes later, he was dead. That's
2: good. Malcolm, That's good. So he was shot down. Let's listen to some of his rhetoric now. What voice was stilled? Let's go through some of these bits of of the voice of what he was representing to the American people. And when I say the American people, I know at the time it looked like it was the black community. But this is for everyone.
0: Are you anti-Semitic? anti-semitic you've uh, many of the things that i've read about you and you've made it mention a couple of times about the jews and everything and i'm wondering if you are personally anti-semitic no
7: uh how can i be anti-semitic when the arabs are semi half the muslim world are uh, is semitic if i was anti-semitic i'd be anti-arab and anti-everything uh, yeah. else no i think this that in this country there's one mistake that the jews make uh they put themselves in a position where whenever anybody gives an objective analysis of the role that they play uh, they defend themselves by accusing you of being anti-semitic and, and uh, a negro is not anti-semitic when he says that the the man who's exploiting him in his community is white because it is a white man who owns all the stores Now is it a, an accident that these whites who own these stores are Jewish? If it's an accident then uh, the fact that he says the Jew on the corner is exploiting me isn't an anti-semitic statement
0: It's just more descriptive of the man who's exploiting him. Sir when the muezzin uh, goes up in the minaret Twice a day, he cries to the world, there is but one God, and he is Allah. Do you deny that there is a Christian God? Uh, the Muezzin does this five times a day. Five times, and I only heard him
7: twice. Well, you were fortunate <laughs> to hear him twice. <laughs> but he does this five times a day, and the same God that he says, uh, that he expresses the existence of, is the God that the Christians profess to believe in themselves, and the God that the Jews believe in, one God, the creator of the universe. The Muslims believe in the God that created the universe, and I think the Christians do, and the Jews do. Now, as long as all of them are talking about the Creator, uh, the Jews may call him Jehovah and Christians may have another name for him. Those who are Arabic-speaking refer to him as Allah. Well, we believe in the same God.
2: There it is, great leaders, revolutionary leaders, all united by belief in the Creator.
7: Freedom is never uh, safeguarded peacefully. Anyone who is depriving you of freedom isn't deserving of a peaceful approach uh, by the ones who are being deprived of their freedom. The only way you can get freedom is to get it the same way the white man in this country got it from England, or uh, he says he got it from England. He was willing to pay the price for freedom. When you're willing to pay the price for freedom, then you'll get it. But the Negro in this country has never been willing to pay the price for his freedom. The only way you can have peace is to eliminate those injustices, and the American white man is not going to eliminate them. He's going to talk that pretty talk, but he'll still continue to practice those inhuman
2: deeds. And we're going to go to the next one, but in between here I'm just going to say Muslim X is, uh, Malcolm X is talking to the entire American community that we did get our freedom through violence, through a revolutionary war, and that people have to be willing to sacrifice to maintain their freedom. He's saying something thoroughly American. And just as relevant today as it was in the 1960s when he said these words. Let's listen to this next one.
7: Black man's laws. Well, the, the laws here in America were made white, by white people for the benefit of white people. The Constitution was written by whites for the benefit of whites. It was never written for the benefit of blacks. And and when you read the Constitution, I think in Article One, Se- Section Article 1, Section 2, or Section 1, Article 1, some one of the two, and it's in the Constitution. It says that it uh, that classifies black people as three-fifths of a man. Three-fifths of a man, subhuman, less than a human being. It relegates us to the level of cattle, hogs, chickens, cows, a commodity that could be bought and sold at the will of the master. No, it was written by whites for the benefit of whites and to the detriment of blacks. And when a black man stands up talking about his constitutional rights, he's out of his mind.
2: As you're getting up this next bit, I just want to say again Malcolm X is speaking to the entire American community. I feel as if I'm in the room listening to him because when he's using the Constitution as a predicate for the freeing of the black people and the redress of grievance, nothing could be more American. And further, when he talks about the commodity human being, the three-fifths of a man. Is that not happening to all Americans now? Have not all of our lives been commoditized? Have we not been relegated to a number? Have we not been created as inventory for various institutions, like the medical industrial complex? Look at how the experience of the black community has been a beta test. And that control and that commoditization has now spread throughout the land. By who? By secret societies, people that we need to name. Because they're not so secret if we want to call them out, which we'll do in the future. But they've been able to do this to my family and to me and to you through covet means, as President Kennedy said. And what happened to President Kennedy? Killed. What happened to Bobby Kennedy when he talked about institutional violence? Killed. What happened to Martin Luther King when he talked about going up on the mountaintop to receive the law? Killed. What happened to Malcolm when he spoke about the constitutional process as the predicate for black liberation? Killed. Let's listen to this next one. I don't
7: in any way encourage black people to go out and initiate acts of aggression indiscriminately against whites, but I do believe that the black man in the United States and any human being anywhere is well within his right to do whatever is necessary, by any means necessary, to protect his life and property, especially in a, in a country where the federal government itself has proven that it is either uh, in, unable or unwilling to protect the lives and property of those human
2: beings. Good. Please hear me. He is speaking to me. Our government has proven to be unable to protect the lives and property of the people. Look at this huge environmental disaster in Ohio. What's with that? Look at the declining life expectancies. Look at all of the problems that have fallen upon our country. Why? Because we, the people, have basically. Seated our authority into the hands of evil people. Our representatives do not represent us. They represent something else. They only show up at election season asking for money and door knockers. That's not what this country is about. We are a community of people working together. Our politics should be convivial and friendly and inspiring and constant. Let us put down our phones for a certain period of time. Let us give up some of our movie going or some of our mall shopping or some of our sports watching and let us come together into a community regularly, not just at election season, but every week. Let us get together to talk, to strive, to inspire each other, to bring back into our community the kinds of rhetoric that will bring about a well-being future for the American people. This last one's very important, very important.
8: Are you still a Muslim? You're oh, still? yes. I'm You're... a Muslim.
7: I believe in the religion of Islam, which believes in brotherhood, complete brotherhood of all people. But at the same time, that I believe in this brotherhood, I don't believe in forcing my uh, desire for brotherhood upon those who aren't willing to accept it. Of course, I think the Christians would say that they also believed in brotherhood. What did you say to that? I'd say they believe in it, but don't practice
1: it. <laughs> that would be a pretty good answer.
2: I think that's just a great line. Believing in something and not practicing in it means he was being kind. It means you really don't believe in it. What we want to do is try to get into the place we aspire to be, and that takes a community. Malcolm X was talking about the community of all men. He was talking about not overriding people. He was talking about the predicate for freedom is the Constitution that we all share. And what happened to him? Killed. Dead. Shot. And what happened? Fear. And let's just go to uh, John Lennon for a second because the Beatles were like the height of inspiration for a generation. People went nuts for the Beatles. They had a message of creativity that was just profound. And when John Lennon died, I just picked out this one scene because Howard Cosell announces it where? Monday Night Football. This was the start of the materialism in the United States. Football represents the sine qua non. Well, of course, it's sports. It's men striving in a physical basis. We have a huge audience for them. And it dominated the American mind at this time. I mean, Monday Night Football when it started was a really, really big deal. It was a novel idea, and people tuned in in mass. and here's what we saw when John Lennon passed on.
5: It's suddenly been placed in total perspective for us. I'll finish this, they're in the hurry up offense. Third down, four. He's lost. He's lost. Foreman, it'll be fourth down. Kavanaugh will let it run down for
1: one final attempt. He'll let the s- seconds tick off to give Miami no opportunity whatsoever. Timeout is called. Three seconds remaining. John Smith is on the line. And I don't care what's on the line, Howard, you have
5: got to say what we know in the booth. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on
2: arrival. That's good. Thank you. I think this is just a perfect forum for this. You know, John Lennon had the status and the Beatles had the status of these political leaders, their music and their influence on culture was maybe greater than these political leaders on a worldwide basis. And when he died, we found out about it during a football game. The game wasn't suspended. I just cut it off, because they just go right back to calling the play-by-play. It's painful, because we were living in the materialism The financialization of our country, which was the predicate for which was the elimination of our spiritual leaders. These were our spiritual leaders. And let us remember that President Lyndon Johnson passed legislation in the late 50s, which created the 501c3 Christians, which meant that our churches, our synagogues, and our mosques were tax exempt as long as they didn't make any political comment. So the Religious life was neutered where we all went to pray. Our spiritual leaders that were trying to address the contradictions in our American experience shot one, two, three, four, and then five, because this Lenin thing was a big deal. And Nixon had taken the American economy off the gold standard in 72, and it was Katie by the door. We were in the fiat currency and everybody wanted to get rich. And here's Ronald Reagan gonna come up here, and what we have here is style that is still revered to this day without substance. We entered the era of, uh, the era of Reaganism, which is style without substance. Greed unlimited, please. Mr. Truitt,
0: your question to President Reagan.
10: Mr. President, I want to raise an issue that I think has been lurking out there for two or three weeks and cast it specifically in national security terms. You already are the oldest president in history, and some of your staff say you were tired after your most recent encounter with Mr. Mr., uh, Mondale. Um, I recall yet that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances?
3: Not
5: at all. Mr. Truitt, and I I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. (laughs) I still have time, I might add, Mr. Truett. I might add that um, it was Seneca or it was Cicero, I don't know which, that said, if it was not for the elders correcting the mistakes of the young, there would be no state.
10: Mr. President, I'd like to head for the fence and try to catch that one before it goes over, but, but I'll go on to another.
2: No, that was stylish. Very ultra-stylish. And Reagan was... An older generation, and he, uh, he, um, he brought with them the trappings of the uh, previous generation, and his goal was military superiority, financial superiority. See, we made a transition from the Kennedy period, which had limits on the ambitions of the American people and limits on the ambitions of the American empire. Limits. These people were talking about limits. But by the time we got to Nixon and got through Carter and got to Reagan, we lost our minds. It was about money, greed, and how far we could expand our personal we- our personal wealth, not our personal well-being. Well-being suddenly became about how much money you had. And the sine qua non of that was Gordon Gekko. I like to just play a little bit of this because we're still living in the end of this ash.
10: <laughs> the new law of evolution in corporate America seems to be survival of the unfittest. Well, in my book, you either do it right or you get eliminated. In the last seven deals that I've been involved with, there were 2.5 million stockholders who have made a pre-tax profit of $12 billion. Thank you. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen,
9: that greed,
10: for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money,
2: Could you for stop love, it for a knowledge, second, has mar- Did you hear what Gordon had to say? It is the essence, greed is the essence of the evolutionary spirit, or in other words, survival of the fittest. Well, this is just great. So now we've made this transition from this soaring rhetoric of these great leaders who are encouraging a spiritual awakening amongst the people, and boom, 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 they're all shot down before our eyes, and we're replaced with radical materialism. And Gordon Yeko is the cornerstone of that materialism. He's reflecting it to us, and he's saying we're Darwinists. It's survival of the fittest. It doesn't matter about the people. The people's well-being doesn't matter. That all of our progress is based on this evolutionary sentiment, and that is a lie that we have believed in, that we've been taught in all of our institutions because our institutions were taken over by Darwinists, And we've gone through that. If you want to go back and look, and when you do, please go to the channel, click the subscribe button, because we're going to be covering all these issues until there's no breath left to cover them with. This man came out and had a huge impact. This man, this Gordon Gekko, he was almost... Oliver Stone made this film as a critique, but actually it was embraced as a great thing. People love Gordon Gekko. And listen to him talk about the evolutionary spirit. Let's let him finish off here. He's not done.
10: The upward surge of mankind and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA.
2: Thank you very much. Oh, stop that right there. So what this is, this is the Reagan era. Greed and self-interest is going to bring about an American community. What a lie we were taught, what a lie we believed, and we believed it because our community had been shattered by secret societies and hidden people that killed our spiritual leaders. We lost the spiritual, and we got Reagan, well, first we got Nixon, and then we got Reagan, and then we got an empire, and then we got people like Gordon Gecko that financialized that empire and made billions and billions and billions of dollars. And that's why today, we have a very small number of American citizens that control almost all the wealth of the country. And the rest of us struggle to live in their business model, which is slavery, drugs, and piracy. The very business model that Roosevelt was opposing, Kennedy was opposing, Bobby Kennedy was opposing it, Martin Luther King was opposing it, Malcolm X was opposing it, And even the atheist John Lennon was opposing it. And all of them died before our eyes. And what we got in the wake of their deaths was Gordon Gekko and Ronald Reagan. And we are still living in that world today, and it's at its end. We are coming to the end, and we're going to talk about this a lot. Why is it ending? How was it ending? The end of this era is upon us and that's why there's so much danger that's why there's so much conflict that's why the debt's 32 trillion that's why we are at war in the ukraine that's why our communities are at war with each other with riots and recriminations and one other thing i want to say and i really want to get this out because i want to learn this you know labeling in this in in the world of psychology if you're going to a psychologist this some some psychologists teach a theory to improve well-being, psychological uh, well-being, about cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions, like fortune telling. Like, you know, I know what's going to happen. No, you don't know what's going to happen. No one knows the future unless they're creating the future, and most of us are not creating the future. Now, the people that are creating the future, they can actually tell you what's going to happen, and we could do a whole reel of people predicting the future because they're making the future happen. And that would be a great podcast. But most of us can't predict the future. It's a psychological malady of unwellness to put energy into predicting something with surety that you have no idea that it's going to happen. Here's what I want to talk about. That's my introduction. That's the, the lead up. Here's the close. Labeling. We're not to label each other in the psychological because it creates division and it creates a environment in which people can't hear each other. So when I listen to people talk about Trumpism or the MAGA Republicans, I know what they're trying to do is label a large group of people and cast shade on them so that the label itself obscures any conversation about the ideas that those people might hold. I've gone through this in my own political career as an activist here in Minnesota. People just label me and they never spoken to me. They have no idea what I believe. They have no idea what my plan is. They have no idea what my goals are. But they know I'm not under their control. In fact, they labeled me as defiant. And that was a lie. I wasn't defiant. I was blocking attacking. Someone attacked me and I parried their attack. That's not defiance. That's self-defense. So... What we want to do is not label. I don't want to label anybody a libtard. That's just as bad as somebody saying someone's a MAGA Republican. We've got to stop labeling each other and start talking to each other such that we can regain a spiritual community. This is the balkanization of America. As long as we're fighting each other, as long as we're hating each other, we cannot practice truth. And we cannot practice nonviolence. And we cannot join together as a community. And while I realize that this sounds very idealistic, give me another way out of this mess. Please lead. I'm trying the best I can. I want to hear some new ideas. So please join the community. Your ideas matter. Let's go on here. Let's go on to this uh, Romney clip. He's kind of the Gordon Gecko in reality. And I want to take this guy apart because, man, does he need to be taken apart. Please.
6: ABC's John Carl sat down for an interview with presidential candidate Mitt Romney. Romney was out combating allegations about his record at Bain Capital. It's your voice, your vote. And today, Romney came out swinging.
4: He sure did, Diane. As you know, the Obama campaign has been hammering him over his record as a business executive. And one top Obama advisor even suggesting Romney committed a felony and was lying about when he stopped working for Bain Capital. As you can see in my interview, those attacks have struck a nerve. That's ridiculous and uh, disturbing uh, to come from their
5: campaign and beneath the dignity of the president and his campaign. The president needs to take control of these people. It's Chicago-style politics at its worst. Stop, please. And the president... Stop.
2: Labeling Chicago-style politics at its worst. That's labeling. Please continue.
5: ...promised something better than this when he ran last time, and he ought to disavow it and rein in these people that are running out of control.
4: The Obama campaign has been hitting Romney hard for weeks in its TV ads.
2: Mitt Romney's companies were pioneers in outsourcing. Romney
4: says the attacks are out of bounds.
5: There was a report that they said that their campaign would be based upon a strategy of trying to quote, kill Romney, end of quote. And that's what they're trying to do. Is he sure as heck ought to say he's sorry for the kinds of attacks that are coming from his team. It's uh, it's uh, very disappointing on his part.
4: The Obama team accuses Bain of shifting American jobs overseas, but most of that allegedly happened after Romney says he left the company in 1999. I had no
5: role whatsoever in the management of Bain
4: Capital after February of 1999. But filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission list Romney as CEO and president of the company until 2002. So you bear no responsibility for what happened to that company, even though those SEC forms list you as chairman and the chief executive officer and president of the company?
5: The ownership shares of the company were ownership shares which I retained. But when I left Bank Capital in February of 1999, I went out to run the Olympics and said goodbye to my colleagues. Uh, they took over the business.
2: Stop, we also asked Romney about those. Okay. As a businessman, this insults my intelligence. This man is able to lie at a level That is just profound. He looks like a president. He can look right into the camera, and every word that's coming out of his mouth is a complete story made up to respond to the Obama campaign's very reasonable critique of his business career. Because Obama, of course, we can get into the lies he told, because now we're getting into my field of play, which is international affairs and international economy. We're going to go there, and this is something I know a lot about. So, when these people talk like this, they might be able to fool the American people, but they can't fool the people that are on this field, and that would be Professor Penn. Because, as I said before, I'm not working as a professor because I'm not a leftist, which left me a career in business, which I took. And I really understand Bain Capital. In fact, I watched this company cannibalize many uh, competitors. And here's what they did they would take a company, an American company, that was struggling with high debt, and union labor, or labor. Because when you're manufacturing things, you have what we call labor. Another label. These are American citizens. These are people with families, with hopes and dreams. They're not labor. Let's quit labeling each other. This is Bill, and Mary, and Scott, and Paul. Human beings that are working in a company to make it great, to keep going. And business is not easy. And sometimes companies would get into trouble, like we saw with Gordon Gekko. He's not a destroyer of companies, he's a liberator of companies. Well, that's true. That's sophistry. They didn't destroy the companies, they just destroyed the people that were working there. Let me say this again this kind of post Reagan sentiment, how we ran this empire, the financial, community decided, our government decided, that why do we need to deal with the risk associated with what is called bricks and sticks or a manufacturing facility? And all those people that work in there, that they could go on strike if they were mistreated, if they were underpaid, if they were overworked, if there was discrimination, those people could go on strike and they could get in the way of the revenue stream. Why do we want that? We have a democracy here. People have opinions. That's very inefficient. Let's buy these companies. Let's sell off the real estate. Let's move all the productive equipment to China, which is a dictatorship. Everybody works or they die. Let's eliminate all of our bricks and sticks risk. Let's eliminate all of the messiness that's associated with the community. In other words, let's destroy our community. Let's build in China teach the Chinese how to do it, which they've weaponized against us now. Let's bring the stuff back over on international logistics chains, which we know that those are a lot more fragile than we were led to believe. Then let's erect new American distributor ships, huge box stores. I'm not going to mention their names because I don't want any trouble. But you all shop there. I shop there. And what are those huge box stores? They are distribution facilities for the Chinese Communist Party. So what we did as a people, the American people, we elected leaders like Mitt Romney, he's still in the government. He's a senator. They lied to us. And one of the greatest lies in that bit was, oh, I own the company, but I had nothing to do with it. Come on. Come on, Mitt. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. You own the company. Of course you have play in how the company prosecutes its business model. You own it. You have minions that work for you. You tell them what to do. You go into government and manipulate the government system so your business model prevails. Oh, great. Isn't that fantastic? I'll say this again. You go into government so that the business model that you are pursuing prevails because you rigged the system. And what do we have today? Massive underemployment. Underemployment. I didn't say unemployment. Unemployment rate is very low, but people aren't making enough money to raise families. We have underemployment because the good jobs have been shipped overseas, predominantly to China. And then people say, oh, well, no, it's all over Asia. It's no, these are Chinese companies that were blocked by taxes and various uh, barriers that were erected through government, starting in the early 2000s, but really a lot during the Obama administration, and then the Trump administration took it to a fine art. And what did they do? They moved out of China and they moved their manufacturing to Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia. They moved all over the world. It's the same China Inc. People like Mitt Romney, they're the the people that uh, worked for Mitt Romney and worked with Mitt Romney, took apart companies like Gordon Gecko, dismembered them, did not care about the humans that worked there. They pursued profit without any consideration of community. And that's why we have all this injustice, all this protest, and all of this sturm und drang. And in fact, these very people, like Mitt Romney, and I want to remind you, his Romney care in Massachusetts when he was governor there, was the predicate for national socialized medicine. He's an industrialist who likes socialism. And why does he like it? Because socialism leads to communism and dictatorship. And if you want to control a people so that you don't have to deal with the inefficiencies, And the messiness of we the people, get everybody to believe in communism and get them all the same and they're easy to control. In other words, it's very difficult to make a people prosperous and well, but it's easy to make a people sick and poor. And the leadership that we have, we the people have elected, is making the American people sick and poor. And we're supposed to like it because we have a phone, we got free drugs. Oh, I was reading about Senator Markey in Massachusetts because I was thinking about Romney and the world he came out of. One of Senator Markey's most important, he's a very liberal leftist, one could say communist senator from Massachusetts, where everything's illegal. One of his most important political directions is lowering The cost of prescription drugs, lowering the cost of prescription, as an economist, any economists out there, when you lower the cost of something, you increase its consumption. When you raise the cost of something, you lower its consumption. So he's allegedly a spokesperson for the people. He's going to lower the cost of drugs. And in so doing, he's going to increase the consumption of drugs. We need to start getting into these contradictions and understanding who these people are, who they're really working for. Oh, I'm against the drug companies. I want to lower the cost of drugs. So we sell more drugs. I don't know if he's on the payroll, but if he wasn't on the payroll, he's what you call a free spokesperson for the drug industry he's allegedly fighting against. No, we want leaders that come up and say, what is the well-being policy that will get the American people completely off drugs. And you know what's great? It's not that complicated. I'm not saying don't go to your doctor. I'm not saying don't take your drugs. I'm saying, did you take a walk today? Did you go outside in the air? Would you like to learn how to breathe? I mean, really breathe, so that you connect your body with the spiritual world. Are you willing to fast? When I say fast, I don't mean not eat. I mean, are you willing to give up hot sauce if you have an ulcer? Are you willing to eat a little bit less if you're overweight? Are you willing to do the things that will bring about well-being? Or have we forgot what well-being is so much that we prefer ill health to health? And I'm going to say in a large extent, we have. And do you know why we have? There's no money if you're well. If you're well, you're free. You are not inventory, as Malcolm X was saying. Malcolm X was saying that three-fifths of a man made a man like a chicken or a goat or a cow to be bought and sold. Well, if you're unhealthy, you're on the assembly line. You're inventory. You're three-fifths of a man or a woman because you're unwell. But when you're well, when you have well-being, you're free. Let's get to the central contradiction that's going on in our society. Well-being and slavery. There you go. We wanna fix the fundamental problem with our business model, which predates slavery, is the business model of the European colonialists. Slavery, drugs, and piracy. When we get it down to that as the American people, and we start to alleviate those issues, and we start to focus on well-being such that every single policy is argued about, not in terms of money, but in terms of what well-being does it create the people. Let's not be lied to, like this one on drugs. If you lower the cost of something, you'll buy more of it. That's why they're taxing cigarettes. They're more expensive, harder to buy. You buy less of them. Hey, you'll know they really went around the corner when cigarettes are, are are not ta- oh, wait a sec. We got other kinds of drugs that are getting free now. Cigarettes are so yesterday. Now we're legalizing other kinds of drugs. We need to think about this. We need to choose our drugs wisely. We need to know how to be well no matter what we put in our bodies. We need to connect to the natural way. We need to find the wisdom of the ages that these leaders, Roosevelt, John Kennedy, Bob Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, they were talking about the spiritual, and they were cut down in front of our eyes as if to focus on the spiritual was very dangerous. You could lose your life if you gave your life and turned it over as Malcolm did and as Martin Luther King did. Martin Luther King said so eloquently, I have given my life. I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. And when we say that and when we mean it, we can get down to the well-being issues that we need to address as an American community and bring about a pro-human future, a future that has life and happiness and prosperity for all the American people. I want to thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to present these ideas to you. Please go to the uh, uh, subscribe button. Please click it. Please, please spread the word. Please send this out to your friends so we can get this community going. Visit Royce White's channel. Call me crazy. Please, let's get this free people of America concept going, because with freedom, we have health and well-being. And I hope that's something we're all willing to strive for. Thank you very much.